0: All right, well, good morning, Redemption. Uh, My name is Josh, one of the pastors here, and uh, Merry Christmas season. It is now officially the Christmas season. Uh, There are some of y'all who don't like Christmas music before Thanksgiving, and all I gotta say to you is eat it. The turkey, that's right, thank you. The turkey has come out, and it is time. Now, Advent is an exciting season. It is a season where we anticipate the birth, the coming of Christ, and coming up, one of the ways we celebrate that is our Advent offering, and that's annually going, how do we not only receive the love of Jesus, but embody the love of Jesus for, particularly for the vulnerable here in our community and around the world, and so we have three kind of venues or avenues that that gift is going to go towards, uh, close, near, and far. So we think of close, uh, this year particularly with uh, foster care and adoption, there's a whole movement within our redemption family of churches uh, that are giving towards uh, families that are on the front lines of of caring for vulnerable kids in our city. And when you think about Christmas and the holidays, it's such a fun time, it's family, it's home, but the reality that for some families this year, uh, Christmas is going to be hard. There are some children who are going to get pulled from their parents and what is Christmas going to look like? And we as the church, as the body of Christ, we want to be on the front lines to embrace vulnerable children. And while not every family may not be called to foster care, uh, yet we do together as the church want to wrap around those in our church who are on the front lines and support uh, these kids and these families in our city. This one we also have near. Uh, you've heard a lot from Will, our outreach pastor, on just we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to partner with ministries and uh, Organizations, things in our city, uh, in areas with like homelessness and with refugees. So, there are important ways that our Advent offering this year is going to go to support the important work there. Likewise, internationally, when we think about the third avenue with FAR. Uh, Guatemala is an area where God has just been opening up just some miraculous stories and ways for partnering with local leaders, indigenous leaders from the church in Guatemala there. Uh, I don't have time to tell tell the whole story, but go grab Will and ask him, hey, what's going on? Because it's really cool. Uh, But one of those initiatives this year is a place called La Limonada. And La Limonada uh, stands for lemonade, or it means lemonade in Spanish. And it's one of the roughest neighborhoods in Guatemala. And it's named La Limonada because of the sewage that runs through the neighborhood. Uh, being like looking like lemonade right and so uh, we are partnering with local guatemalan leaders from that community uh, that have been there for over 15 years they've started four academies that are uh, for some of the most vulnerable kids in that area it's school it's food it's health it's education it's all those things and we're wanting to partner with them to help launch now a fifth academy in that area so i'll say this is an exciting time for advent where we get to focus on receiving the love that has come for us in christ and embodying the love of jesus for our neighborhood, and our world. Okay, well, we're coming out of this last season on the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, we were focused on uh, our faithful presence to God, going, how do we as the body of Christ, people of Jesus, how do we live faithfully to God in our cultural moment? And now as we kind of pivot and shift towards Advent, we kind of move from our faithful presence to God, moving towards God's faithful presence to us. And the irony is that the latter is actually foundation for the former, right? Like we're able, only able to be faithfully present to God because God has first been faithfully present to us. That it's not that we love God, it's that God first loved us. That when we were running the other direction, God has come for us. And Christmas is the celebration of the ultimate break-in, heaven breaking into earth, God uh, coming to reconcile and redeem and restore us to himself. So Christmas is a time where we see that God is not kind of out there in the universe, kind of at a distance, waiting uh, for us to kind of get stuff together to go out and find a, a him. It's not about us going out to find God. Christmas reveals it's God who's come to find us. And that God is all in. You know, years ago, I used to serve on this uh, board for a grant organization. And on this board, we would try and discern from all these applications, okay, which ones are we going to give uh, grants to and which ones are we not? And there was a holistic criteria uh, people applying for, they, they knew, okay, these are the, the, the bullseyes if we can hit these, these, these goals. Um, but there was one criteria that was unspoken, that was probably the most important one. It wasn't on the application, but we all talked about it and knew behind the scenes as the board, this is the most important one. And it was what we called the skin in the game criteria, right? And skin in the game going, uh, does this grant application have skin in the game? Because there were very clearly like two types of applications. There were those who were kind of going, if you pay me, I'll go do it, right? Like if you can write me a big enough check to kind of leave what I'm currently doing and and, and go do this thing, then I want to go do this thing. And, And that's fine. That is what it was. But then there was another type of application. And this type of application was one where they were going, dude, I live, love, am sold out on this vision. I'm going to do this thing, and if you want to get on board with me, awesome. You want to throw fuel on the fire? Awesome. If you don't, get out of my way, because come hell or high water, I'm coming after this thing, right? And those were the ones where we just got excited to go, man, we want to throw fuel on that fire and around that. And the beauty of Christmas is it reveals that God is all in. He's not going, hey, if you guys pay me, I'll come do it, Right? Like, God's not going, if you can rally your religious activity, if you can rally enough money, if you can get yourselves excited and worked up enough for me, if you can uh, worship me enough, whatever, then maybe I'll consider coming to be with you. Now, Christmas is a time where even though we're going the other way, God's going, I'm coming for you, whether you like it or not. You can either get on board or you can get out of the way, because come hell or high water, I'm coming to reconcile and redeem and restore my world to myself, right? The title for the sermon this morning is Skin in the Game." Turn to the person next to you, tell them, God's got skin in the game. (laughs) Christmas means God's got skin in the game, literally. This This is the season. The word became flesh. We celebrate that God is invested. He's engaged. He's not going anywhere. He's not phoning it in from a distance. He is all in. He is present. So let's step into John 1 and read this passage 1 to 5. John 1, John opens his gospel, his introduction to the person of Christ, this way. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not it. So John 1, he opens his gospel describing when the audio became visual, when the Word became flesh. His introduction is to the Word of God, and then when this Word became flesh, this is like the moment when the Spotify playlist you're listening to suddenly appears in person in front of you and asks you to dance, right? It's like when that long-distance relationship over the phone, and it's been going for a year, and then suddenly they show up on the front door down on one knee for the proposal, right? The audio becoming visual, the Word becoming flesh. So John opens his gospel wanting to introduce us to Jesus as the Word. The first question we've got to ask is, well, who or what is the Word? That's kind of a weird title, right? Like, if I were to introduce you to uh, my son, Jacob, right? And I would go, "Hey, uh, this is Jake. He's a word." You'd be like, "No, he's not a linguistic element of communication. He's a person, right? Like, it's a weird thing to call someone. So why does John call Jesus the Word? Why? Not only does he call, he opens, he introduces introduction to Jesus, the Word. Well, the Word actually has a rich history in Scripture. If we go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis one, we find that the Word is God's agent of creation. It is the vehicle through which God makes the world. So if you think back, many of us know the story, but Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God is kind of hovering over the the waters and the darkness kind of before creation. I think of the Spirit as almost like the catcher's mitt, getting ready to receive the incoming word of God. And then God speaks forth his word, let there be, and there was. God speaks and things happen. God's word is the vehicle, agent, for creation. And this is unique, because when you and I make things, like let's say I were to make a painting, or you were to do a sculpture, uh, we tend to make things with our hands. It's interesting here, God makes things through his word. Our maker makes things happen through his speech. Right? <clears throat> and we see that throughout the Bible, people are reflecting on this. Authors in Scripture are reflecting on this. The Psalmist in Psalm thirty-three six, he says, "By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made." Second Peter three five, Peter says, "It's by God's word the heavens came into being." The author of the to the Hebrews says uh, of the, Hebrew, the book of Hebrews says, "The worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible." So when God builds the world, he doesn't kind of pull out the hammer and the nails and start constructing. No, God says, let there be, and creation comes into existence. It's like the decree of a mighty king who speaks and things happen. I can barely get my kids to clean their room. <laughs> but God speaks to the creator, speaks in all creation orders and communicate, coalesces and organizes around his communication. Right? So what we see here is that Jesus is the agent of creation. John tells us in this opening also, he says that all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the vehicle through which you and I have come into existence. Our existence hangs on Christ, the Word. And now that word, that audio has become visual. The word has become flesh and stepped into our midst. This is the picture of the artist stepping into his masterpiece, fusing his life with the fabric of our existence, his presence joined with the canvas of our humanity. All right, well, it is interesting. Okay, so John opens with Jesus as the word, um, but why does he tend to focus there? Because uh, you know there are other elements to who Jesus is. Jesus is also a shepherd. Uh, he's a doctor, like the great physician. Right? So God could have cho- you know, John could have chosen one of those. Um, and other gospel writers, they kind of introduce their gospels emphasizing different things about Jesus. So it's interesting. You look at Mark 1, and Mark opens his gospel, the very beginning, quoting Isaiah, where he says, hey, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for the Lord. And you go back to that passage and it's, the Lord is Yahweh. It's in, prepare the way for Yahweh. And Mark kind of has this opening theme, but this is Yahweh in the flesh. This is Yahweh coming to his people and body. But John doesn't go that route. Right. He starts with the word. And why? What's so significant about that? Well, I think one thought, words are a vehicle of communication. It's interesting. Words are how you get to know someone, how you let someone into your life. So if you think about it, let's say you're at a coffee shop, and you're kind of uh, looking out, and you see some guy across the way, and you start just kind of imagining and guessing. You're like, I bet, I bet his name is Bill. And I bet he looks like, I bet he's an architect, Bill the architect. Judging, uh, he's got some khaki, some plaid. I, I bet he likes to play golf, right? And I'm going to say maybe three kids. He's got three kids, right? And so, but you're just kind of guessing from afar. And then let's say Bill gets up and he walks over to you and he's like, hey, my name's Anthony. Uh, I'm a doctor uh, for a hobby. I like riding horses and I got 12 kids. It's a long story, but hey, you know, like (laughs) you were all wrong, right? Like I was all wrong. Like we're just guessing from afar and what changes the game is when, uh, the person comes over and begins to speak to give us their word. The word is how the internal becomes external. How what's going on on the inside is kind of brought out to the outside so that we can get let in on it. Words are how we get to know one another. You think about the significance and power of talking. Why that's so important in a friendship or in marriage. Why uh, it's good to make time to get together and talk and share what's going on, what's happening in life. Because uh, our words are a vehicle through which we actually develop presence with one another, getting to know one another. So words are a vehicle of communication, and Jesus is God's communication to us. Like if you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. Right. Colossians 1 tells us that in him the fullness of God dwells, that he is the image of the invisible God, an accurate reflection his father. And I think some of us have some misconceptions about God that Jesus wants to fix. Some of us have some maybe toxic understandings of our creator, that as the, the word becomes flesh, Jesus wants to draw us close into the heart of his father, of who God truly is. And the beauty of the gospel is that the visual matches the audio. Like Jesus, the word, matches the of the identity of God. The visual matches the audio uh, because sometimes in our world, uh, the picture doesn't quite align with reality, right? You ever shown up at like that Airbnb, you know, thing, and you're like, this is not, no, this is not what I signed up for, right? Um, Or maybe you were younger and you saw those car commercials and you're like, oh, if I just have that car, then I'll be wealthy and I'll have the perfect family you know like because the 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 car commercial is not saying that like hey if you get this car you'll have all this stuff but visually it's communicating that it's giving the picture hey if you get this this is what your life will look like then you get the car and you're like nah, I'm still broke (laughs) actually I'm more broke (laughs) because I'm paying off the car Uh, or maybe like you were that kid in high school or whatever where it was like oh axe body spray that's it right (laughs) like (laughs) It's the visual picture. If I just get that going under my arms, like the ladies are fawning and whatever, and then you're sorely disappointed. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not speaking from personal experience. Just this guy I know. Some, some guy I know, right? Like, like, okay, but the beauty with Jesus is it's not false advertising. The visual matches the audio, the picture, which the word, and the word matches the God who speaks it. Jesus is the revelation of the depths of who God is. Deepest heart of God for us has come to encounter us in Christ. Well, and what does he reveal? He wants to be with us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Because the goal of communication is Communion. So, that again, the goal of communication is communion. Think about those two words. They're actually very close. Communication, communion. Uh, what do they share in common? Well, they both have in there union with. Uh, the C O M means with, right? So, communion, union with. And the goal, uh, why we want to talk with folks and get to know folks and communicate is so that we can enter closer into actually knowing and being known by one another. And sure, if your words, it's obviously not the case if your words to someone are like, hey, I never want to see you again, right? Uh, the goal is not communion, but if the words are, oh, I am in this with you, I am for you, I'm not going anywhere, and that's what God communicates in the incarnation. He is with us, he is for us, he's got skin in the game, and he's not going anywhere. There is a phrase in kind of advertising and digital media, and all uh, the medium is the message. Medium is the message. It was coined by this guy Marshall McLuhan back in the day, and, and the idea was uh, it's not just the words we communicate, but it's also the way we communicate them or the vehicles through which we communicate them. So you could say the same words, but through email one way uh, or through a phone call another way, it has a different, those modes of communication actually signify something. They're, they're a different way that we experience those words. And it's interesting in the incarnation that the vehicle for God's communication is a body. God in Christ takes on our flesh, our humanity, our skin. He steps into our skin. He walks in our shoes. He walks our dust. He grows like we grow. He feeds like we feed. He's dependent on creation, on his mom, on all the different things. He steps into the fullness of our experience and our world. He became like we are that we might become like he is. And the medium itself communicates something. The fact that these are, we don't encounter Jesus just like a letter we get from a postal carrier, right? Like we encounter Jesus as the word who has become flesh, who has stepped into our experience and our existence, ultimately for communion, to unite us in life with him, in union with him. And what this means for you and I today is that you are not alone. Those areas of life that might feel overwhelming, where you might feel distant from God, those bills you can't pay, that diagnosis that won't go away, that relationship that just can't seem to turn the corner, those tears that you've cried at night and you thought no one else could see. God knows, and he has stepped in to our story and into your story. God has skin in the game, Tell the person next to you, you are not alone. You are not alone. We need to remind ourselves of that, that we have a God who is with us, who is in our story with us, a God who's all in. God's got skin in the game. We are not alone. All right, well, the next thing we see in this John 1 opening is that love walked among us. John says here in the very first verse, verse one, he says uh, that the word was with God and the word was God, that Jesus is God become flesh. And this is not just like getting a postal letter. This is encountering the God who has come for us in Christ. Uh, This is not just uh, love walking among us. This is not just love as an abstract category, but God's love, God's very presence coming to dwell and be with us himself. This is not just a word from God. This is the word of God coming to dwell in our midst. And I think it's interesting that language now, again, of Jesus being the word, that the word was with God and was God. And think about your words for a moment. It's interesting. Our words, in some ways, they are with us. And in another way, they kind of are us, right? Like, Like when you speak, there's a sense in which your words can take on a life of their own in the ears of your listeners, and the impact they have on the world around you. And yet, your words have no life on their own unless they come from you. They express, feel, who you are. So at one level, our words are distinct from us, and yet another level, our words are identified with us. They proceed from us, and yet they uh, have an existence that is uh, also on their own. And I think it's interesting because for John, the Gospel of John, Uh, this starts to bring us into the the mystery of the Trinity, the beauty of the Trinity. And the Trinity is a major theme throughout the Gospel of John. There's a lot of emphasis on Jesus and the Father and the Spirit and their relationship with one another. I know for many of us, the Trinity feels like kind of an abstract, weird math equation or some doctrine that doesn't make sense. You know, But at the heart of it, historically for the church, has been this, that God is an eternal communion of love, that we were made relationally by a relational God a God who has relationship in his very existence and essence as Father, Son, and Spirit. We were made relationally by a relational God, an eternal communion of love who comes for us as the Word becomes flesh, as God speaks forth and sends forth his Son in the power and presence of the Spirit to unite us with himself and bring us back into the communion of love that we were made for. And so Jesus... Uh, like a, wor- a word is a kind of appropriate or helpful image to think about uh, Jesus' relationship with the Father. Because uh, Jesus, like a word, he both proceeds from God, and yet he is identified with God. He has an identity that is distinct at one level, and yet uh, at the same level his identity is intertwined. And so throughout John, Jesus is saying things like, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. And even goes so far as to say, I and the Father are one. Jesus, as the Word of God, he is both the expression of God's heart, and we encounter God through him. So this is not like the Father's hanging back going, all right, Jesus, you go. I don't really want to go down there. I don't really want to hang out. You know, so you go do it and tell me how it goes. Maybe you know, No, like the Father is pursuing our world in Christ. Father is present in Christ in the power of their spirit to reconcile and bring us back into life life that we were made for. And what this means is that uh, when we encounter Jesus, we are encountering the very presence of God. Uh, I've talked to many over the years who uh, kind of came to faith, came to know Christ, and uh, often a common theme is, you know, at first it started, I was kind of intrigued by Jesus. He seems like an intriguing person. Uh, and his humanity, like the, the the things that he did, the the, the works that he does, he, he compassion or justice or his prophetic edge or whatever it is, there's something that uh, is intriguing. Like he's an interesting historical figure. But then, as they get closer, and begin to draw closer to exploring Jesus. The time they become like Thomas, often known as Doubting Thomas, when he sticks his finger into the wound, pure side of the resurrected Jesus, and he falls on his face in worship, and he says my Lord, and my God. That often we're first drawn uh, to Jesus because of, he's interesting, but as we move closer, we find like, oh my goodness, like we are encountering the very depths of our creator, the one from whom we have come has come for us in Christ. We are left in awe and worship. Well, it speaks to the significance of the incarnation. So incarnation is kind of this weird Latin word, uh, what does it mean though, in carne? Uh, carne just means meat, right? So anybody, uh, carne asada, anybody? Like, <laughs> I love carne asada. I love, anybody like tacos? I love tacos. All right, so in carne asada, probably my favorite tacos. Uh, carne asada just means grilled meat, right? Asada meat, asada grilled carne meat. Um, now, Jesus isn't grilled, uh, but he... <laughs> But it basically means divinity steps in into meat, like just becomes flesh, becomes bone, takes on skin. And while he's not grilled, he does ultimately do it to atone for the sin of the world, to give himself as a sacrifice. Hebrews 10, it's interesting, says, man, the sacrificial system, it just wasn't enough. And and so it says, therefore, when Christ entered the world, said to God, a body you have prepared for me, he might fulfill and give himself. And it's not only his death, but Jesus comes, he, the incarnation, so he steps into our experience, our existence, so that he could live the life that we were supposed to live, that he would die the death that was ours to die, and that he would rise again to raise us with him life eternal, again in the communion of love, trying God. So, in light of all that, I want to ask us for a minute, what does it mean, then, to live incarnationally? If you've been around the church for a while, you've probably heard the phrase, like, uh, incarnational living, right? It's a phrase we toss around a lot, and I think it's an important phrase. It's a beautiful one, and I, I do think it's it's true, uh, but I think there's two unhealthy ways we can tend to understand it, and then one healthy way. So, I kind of want to look at the two unhealthy ways first, and then look at what I think it really means. So, uh, first unhealthy way of understanding it is thinking that you and I literally incarnate, Right? Uh, Because the reality is, if you ask someone, hey, are you living incarnationally? Uh, What you're really asking them is like, hey, are you deity become human, right? Like, are you the creator stepping into creation? Are you an eternal being who suddenly stepped into time? Did you leave your heavenly zip code to take up an earthly one? And so the danger on the one side, if we read it too literalistically, uh, we can minimize the significance and power of, of this monumental event that's happening at the birth of Christ, that God is becoming flesh, uniting his presence with the fabric of our existence. So on the one hand, we can minimize the significance of what's actually happening in Christ. And then on the other hand, I think we can start to just kind of look to Jesus as an expiring example for how to live. Um, be nice, help other people—you know—which are good things, right? But uh, often the phrase, you know, living incarnationally, it can show up a lot in around themes. Let's say like justice, right, and particularly around themes like downward mobility or descent, and so uh, moving from Wall Street into the slum, like if you got a lot relocating, live with the poor, and that can be really good. I've powerful, amazing followers of Jesus who have have been called by God into that, and it's been amazing. Um, but I think one of the challenges if we frame living incarnationally around that, I think we have to ask, does that mean that the poor can't live incarnationally? Like if you're already on the bottom rung of society and you've got nowhere down to go, does that mean you're just kind of out of luck? Right. Uh, similarly, can that create kind of a hero-savior complex where we think, hey, I'm going to be like Jesus and go save the world, right? Versus being ones who Jesus has reached in the bottom rung of our life and we get to point to him as the savior. Or if you're like Daniel in the series we've just been looking at, or you're uh, the CEO, or you're, you're higher up on, uh, d- does that mean, is there a way to actually live incarnationally like Daniel did that's stewarding what God's given you in that place in that moment in time? I think this brings us to the third way, what I think it really means uh, to truly live incarnationally, and it's this, the power of Christmas, part of It is that Jesus is still taking on flesh today. That Jesus took a body so that we might become his body. That Jesus' end game is not just to be himself, but to unite us to himself, to fill us with his presence, with his power, with his spirit, and united with him as the body of Christ, that he would embody the love of God, his life into the world in and through us. And suddenly that blows open the categories. Living incarnation becomes a very big theme. It can look all sorts of ways. Living incarnationally can be, uh, man, like you look at Jesus's life. It's like preaching the kingdom and healing the sick and casting out demons. And you're like, well, I need supernatural power to do that. And like, exactly, right? Like you can't do it on your own. You need the life of Jesus in you and through you. Living incarnation can show up in more mundane ways. It can be, uh, like generosity, hospitality, like obedience, like learning to live that Christ's obedience to the Father becomes our obedience to the Father, that His generous giving of His very self becomes our laying down our lives for others. And it can be at the deepest core level. I think that our hearts are turned to God, that where before, like our, we had a, a, a starting point, like of self-love, and it turns to love of God. He becomes the center, that the Spirit of God indwells us and ignites our affections and desires with the beauty of Jesus that we fall in love with, with God and want to give our lives for him. That is the life of Christ at work in us and for us, through us. That Jesus took on a body that we might be united to him as his body, that he might live his life through us. So, if we come back, then what does it mean to live incarnationally? It's, it's not so much like you going out and just trying to do what Jesus did. It's, it's, it's Jesus living his life in you and through you. He's no longer just an inspiring example. He's actually an active agent in our lives as his people, embodying his love into the world through us. Jesus is still taking on flesh today. All right, well, what does this mean for us today? I say this, it means that God's got skin in the game. Let's come back to that. God's got skin in the game. He is all in. Uh, God is not phoning it in, right? You have been like at the gym, maybe you're exercising or whatever, and, but you're just kind of phoning it in. You're like going through the motions, but not really present, not really there. Uh, man, turn to your neighbor, tell him, get off the phone get off the phone, actually be present, right? Stop phoning it in, be present because God is present. God is not phoning it in. He's got skin in the game. And what that means is that God is all in. Christmas, the incarnation, the word become flesh means that God is all in. He is invested. He's engaged. He's not going anywhere. He's not phoning it in. He is all in. He is present. He's going all the way in order to be with us. And this means that it's not about us going out to find God. It's God who's come to find us. And this changes everything. In my own life, uh, you know, just to share a little of my story, and this was significant in my own turning point of how I came to encounter Christ. So I was a freshman in college, University of Oregon. I'm a duck, quack, quack. And... (laughs) And I, I, I get to college, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give this thing a shot. God, I want to follow you. I'm going to try it. So I go to a campus group, and I ask the guy, I'm like, okay, so how do I do this? How do I follow Jesus? What do I do? And he's like, oh, well, you play music. Uh, you could lead worship at our weekly worship gathering. I'm like, all right, like alright i do not know if I'm a believer, but okay. So, you know, I'm like leading worship, this thing. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, well, what's next? He's like, oh, well, um, have you read the Bible? We have a Bible study, Thursday nights. Uh, if you want to go to that. Okay, so I start going to this Bible study, and I'm learning stuff, and it's good, but I still feel empty inside. I'm like, well, now what? It's like, well, uh, are you praying? We've got a 6 a.m. prayer gathering on Wednesday mornings, and I'm like, dude, that sounds Navy Seals, gung-ho for Jesus, all in. This will show God I'm serious, you know, and, and uh, so I'm on my way out the door at 6 a.m. on Wednesdays, and my roommates are all hung over. Where are you going, dude? And I'm like, I'm going to pray, and and, and, But ironically, I, I felt even a little more empty. So I'm like, hey, well, now what? He's like, well, are you sharing your faith? Takes me out on campus, gives, gives me a stack of tracks, and uh, unleashes me like a wolf on my unsuspecting victims, you know? And, and, and I'm a pretty, la- pretty laid-back guy, you know? So it's just like, hey, what do you think about God? We had good conversations. But the irony I found myself in was like the more stuff I was doing for God, the further away God scene. And the catch-22 in the whole deal is because I was doing all this stuff, I just had a lot of people in the Christian community, like the campus group's all like, going, like, look at Josh, he's on fire for Jesus. He's going, you know? And they're like, well, I don't want to let them down, and so i want to hide what's really going on, on the inside. I'm just going to keep on doing the activity, trying to keep up appearances, right? Until I can figure this out on my own. So this continues through the year, and that summer I was like, finally, I, I know it know will fix it. I'll go on a mission trip. Okay. Like, <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> I'm like, don't try and fix your alienation with God on a mission, right? But, but I'm like, all right, God's just waiting to make sure I'm all in. Right? So I go on this thing, and it was a great trip. It was in Japan, and uh, the Japanese church there was actually phenomenal. They just, I remember just, they just seemed to rest in the love of God for them. And it's not like they weren't doing stuff, but it, just, it wasn't characterized by that same striving. It was coming out of a different place. And I was like, man, that's beautiful. I don't know. What it is. I don't know how I get it. So I come home, it's kind of the the climax of the story is end of summer, I have this three day landscaping job in this backyard. So I'm kind of tearing up these these trees and these roots and these shrubs and pulling the stuff out, and and it's August, so it's hot and I'm sweaty, and so I'm all alone. And at the end of these three days, in in retrospect, it felt kind of symbolic, right? Like I'm sort of digging up these deep roots in my soul to like God, what do I really believe? And I don't know. And and I, I get to the end. I'm just surrounded by all this uprooted dirt and dust and death. And I kind of came to the end. And I, pardon my, my friendship, I was just like, I remember shouting out loud in this backyard, like, F it. God, like, and I didn't say fudge. If, <laughs> if, if, you've, <laughs> if you've seen the Christmas movie, Christmas story, whatever, right? But I remember just shouting out, it was like the end. God, uh, if this is who you are, I want nothing to do with you. And it was this moment where it wasn't like I was going to change my mind the next day. It's like, this has been the climax of this year. I've tried it. It didn't work. And then, I don't know if it was a minute later or an hour later, all I remember I was in that backyard at the very moment when I would just kind of given God the finger. Right? I'm in that moment, and I found myself surrounded by the presence of Christ. Like being in the room with the king. And what I heard him say was, Josh, you've had this whole thing backwards. Like, you thought this was about you coming out to find me, and the whole time I've been the one coming out to find you. And that just took everything I thought I knew about God, about Christianity, about the gospel, and it flipped it upside down on its head. There's suddenly all these verses I've been reading that year that just came to life, like Ephesians, where Paul says, it is by grace through faith you have been saved. I realized I had it backwards. I thought it was by faith through grace. Like, God, I come to you and I do all this stuff for you and my faith is me showing you how much I'm willing to do for you and that creates this channel where you're like, okay, now I can give you my grace. But I was like, no, it's backwards. Like, God is gracious goodness. And faith is simply getting our eyes off ourselves to receive the God who has come for us in Christ. And I went into the season where, and maybe for some of us even in this moment, like I had a season where I needed to pull out of some of the activities I was doing. Not because they were bad, but just because of the associations I had with them of trying to perform and get God's attention. And uh, so I would go to church, you know, I kind of sit uh, under the word and receive the sacraments on Sundays, but then that was about it. And I began finding God, though. I, I had friends like, oh man, Joshua's falling away. I'm like, no, I'm falling in, you know. I would be up at night just crying for joy, like, God, you're so good. You have come for us. You've come for me. And I remember describing at the time, like, dude, if it feels like I've been climbing this rope called Christianity to try and get to God, and eventually my arms got tired and my hands got sore, and I let go, and I thought I was falling into nothing, and I'd found i fallen into Christ. The beauty of Christmas is that it's not about us going out to find God. This is the ultimate place, the, the birth of Christ, the death of Christ. This is the proclamation that God has come for us. He's all in. He's got skin in the game. He's come to be with us. He's for us. So light of that, I want to give, um, just kind of, what do we do with this? You know, three tips maybe for the Christmas season as we step into the season of Advent. How do we approach it? How do we, how do we enter into the season? And the first tip I think here would be, let's focus on worship. Let's focus on worship. Um, I have a confession to make. As I was preparing uh, this message originally, uh, I, I had this Kind of thought, okay, for the, you know, towards the end, the landing pad, maybe some something, you know, like, God's got skin in the game to you, right? Like, he's all in, are we? And I was praying about it, and I felt like God was going, like, no, like, the series on Daniel, we, we've been a lot, and like, dude, what does our faithful presence to God look like? And I felt like God was going, hey, I feel like for us as a community right now, the emphasis in the season, it's not God's got skin in the game, do you? It's God's got skin in the game for you. That we would take time to sit in. Reflect upon and rest and rejoice and worship and celebrate the God who has come for us in Christ. And some of us might be going, well, yeah, but how do I do that? What do you, what, what do, you do? And well, what do you do when someone gives you a gift? You say thank you. Right? You say thank you. And would this be a season where we as the people of God would say thank you? Even making a, a daily practice, finding God what, man, God, I'm thankful for, that I got breath in my lungs, the life you've given if you got food on the table and a roof over your head, the family and the friends that you have, even if they're difficult at times, right? But at the end of the day, for the greatest gift of all, of Christ, God with us, let us worship and be grateful and respond in praise. For some, that may mean taking some time to rest and be close to God in that way. A uh, second thing, I think, is uh, that we would move from presence to presence. Right? Like from presence P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S to P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, right? Uh, Presents are good, presence is better. Uh, Because you think about the beauty of the incarnation. When God gave us the greatest gift at Christmas, he didn't give us stuff, he gave us himself. Like God actually comes to be with us. It doesn't mean gifts are bad, like gifts are good. That's a beautiful way that we uh, give gifts to one another. We celebrate. Um, it, it's like a small window or an icon into the greatest gift of, of Christ who was given for us. Uh, and yet in our culture, it can become kind of this all-consuming like the shopping lists and the to-do lists and the traffic jams. And and man, this feeling like how much I love someone is going to be measured by how much I'm willing to spend on them. I think you willing to let that stuff go. Just go, no, that's... that's some of the stuff from our culture, that's not actually gospel. There's a freedom. We can give gifts to one another, but would this be a season where we're actually giving our presence to one another as God has given his presence to us? Right. We'd be with our friends, with our family, with those, uh, and, and actually create space to enter into life, to know and be known. That We would use our words even in a way that honors the word who has come to be present with us. Third and final tip for the season is just to ask the question I think a time for reflection for us where are you looking for love? So, talk about this love who walked among us. Love walked among us. Where are you looking for love right now? Uh, For some of you, it might be like me, where you've been looking for love and through religion. Like, oh man, I'm going to uh, do all this stuff, these activities. I'm going to go to the Bible studies and share my faith and learn to pray and like go deeper and, and do all this stuff so that I can get God to love me. And I think, no, <laughs> that's, uh, that's not where true life is found. For some of us, uh, maybe it's uh, the, that group of friends or acquaintances, man, if I could just get in with this group or if those people noticed me or if they said the right things about me, then I would experience an encounter of love. Maybe for some of us it's that relationship or that romance going, if, if, if I just had that person's attention or if my marriage just turned the corner, or maybe for some it's even like Tinder, looking for uh, love in the embrace of a stranger and going anything to kind of meet that craving and need for loneliness. And the beauty of the gospel is that while we were all out looking for love, love came looking for you. While you and I have been looking for love, love has come looking for you for us. It's the invitation this morning is to come as we are to Christ, the one who has come for us. As we come to uh, communion this morning, the bread and the wine, we come to the body given, blood shed, that the word is in the bread, that Christ has taken on flesh and he's given us these elements saying, this is my body, it's come and encounter, not only Jesus is an interesting historical figure, come encounter the risen and living Lord, the King of the universe, who gives us his very presence to feed on and sustain and nurture, grow in life and union with him. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you that, man, you've got skin in the game, Literally. You have come for us, God. You are all in. God, I thank you that you are invested and engaged in us. You're not going anywhere. Jesus, we thank you that in you, the audio has become visual. The eternal word of God has taken on flesh, and we look to you. God, I thank you that we can actually encounter you through Christ, your son. And not only encounter, it's like a painting, but actually to be united with you and have your very presence, your life, your The the very word through whom all creation is held together now holds us intimately together from the inside out of our hearts turn in affection for the greatness of who you are. Jesus, thank you that while we were out looking for love, God, you're the love who has come looking for us. God, we want to bring all of who we are to you this morning. You are the God who brings light into our darkness. You are the king who restores us where we are broken. God, and though there is a place and a time for us uh, figuring out you know, the right activities and follow the things, that come out, God, I pray that this would be a season this month that we just soak in the goodness of who you are, the greatness of you, the God who has come for us in Christ, that we would declare great are you, Lord. Great is the life you have given, and even more that our creator is now also our redeemer. The one through whom the world was made is the one who is remaking the world that we've broken, that we might find fullness in life with you again. It's in your name, Jesus, our glorious King, that we pray. Amen.